Yes, it is a good morning. It is wonderful to be together. If you have a Bible, would you please open it to the book of Romans? If you are a guest with us, we are in a series that has been going on for quite a while in the book of Romans entitled, For the Love of God. And we find ourselves today in one of the greatest chapters in Romans chapter 8. Now, before I uh, begin the sermon, I just wanted to uh, just thank God. Uh, the fact that we are able to be here uh, is an answer to prayer for many years. Uh, the fact that we would be able to have a space like this, it is a gift. Uh, the fact that you are here is an answer to prayer. And I just also want to say a, a thanksgiving to God for all of the hard work that went in to make uh, Sunday happen again. Um, even J.D. Uh, Loftus, who normally leads us in worship through song, he got sick yesterday, so Ron Jewer uh, stepped in and played the guitar, and Annie led us, and so I just am so thankful for them and for our visual and sound team, for everybody who came and set up. So once again, I just want to express thanks to God for them, and so let's thank them for their hard work. Also want to acknowledge some uh, friends uh, of all of ours, and you might not know them. We are part of the Church in Christ Together Church Planting Network, and a dear friend of mine, Justin Perry, uh, was doing a wedding this week in Durham, and he came and stayed with us and brought half of his church with us. Uh, with him. So if you're from Covenant Life Church in Tampa, Florida, would you raise your hand for us right there? Yeah, I got the whole thing. We are so thankful to God that you are here. And honestly, just it is Treasuring Christ Church in Tampa, or to say it their way, we are Covenant Life Church in Raleigh. There's a sense that there is a deep sense of family and a common belief in our great God, a love for the local church, a common core foundation of doctrine and a common commitment to spreading the name of Jesus wherever we go. And so it is so uh, so good. Just know you're connected to the believers all over the nation. And I asked uh, Justin if there were some ways that we could pray for his church. And here are some ways. And so I wanted to pray not only for the sermon and for our time, but also for these ways. Here are the ways to pray. Pray for our church planting efforts next week as they're going to be planting a church in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I got to spend, when I was in D.C., um, most of the week with their church planting uh, resident, Ronnie Ranks. And so that was such a joy to be with, with him. Uh, also pray for sending a missionary family uh, to Radius International Training, which is the training is located in Tijuana, just south of San Diego. And they are here with us. And so we will be praying for you and for God's uh, work in your lives. And also pray for our coming Advent sermon series kicking off next week. Opportunity for Covenant Life Church to share the gospel over the holidays. And so I want to just uh, join with them and with you to pray over them uh, in this moment. And we'll spend some time praying about this sermon. So let's just start um, with quieting our hearts. Right now I pray that you would see stillness with Jesus as the greatest gift in all the world. And right now, as you still your hearts, I pray that you would acknowledge this one true fact, that He is here. Acknowledge His presence. And if you trust Him and you love Him, the Bible says you are His child. And if you're His child, He is your Father. And it means that he relates to you in everything that he does in love. Thank the Father for his love for you. And the Bible says that his steadfast love never ceases. So ask him to bring spiritual rest, whole person health 
through your mind, your heart, and your body. Humbly ask Him to make you more like His Son, Jesus. And in this moment, ask Him to give you the courage to pray. This prayer of indifference, as some saints have called it. Not my will, but yours be done. Ask him to humble your hearts that you might receive his word. Set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Tim Keller, in a book called Encounters with Jesus, uses an illustration from a childhood hero of mine, Rocky Balboa. Rocky Balboa was a guy that I loved to watch fight. I loved to watch all the Rockies, and yep, after Ivan Drago, they kind of went downhill. But it was fun to watch Rocky win and fight, and here's the setting. It was in the first film when Rocky was about to fight the infamous champion Apollo Creed. And he explains to Adrian, his girlfriend, that he's not worried about winning. He just wants to put up a good fight. And this is how he says it. I just want to prove something. No, I'm not going to do I totally do this when I read to my kids, you know, I do the voices and stuff, and, and sometimes it goes over, well, and other times they tell me to stop, please. And so I'm pretty sure that you would have said stop, please. So I'm going to read the quote now, but that was my best attempt. I just want to prove something, I ain't no bum. It don't matter if I lose, don't matter if he opens my head, the only thing I want to do is go the distance, that's all. Nobody's ever gone 15 rounds with Creed. If I go 15 rounds and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know then I weren't just another bomb from the neighborhood. After quoting Rocky, Tim Keller says this, I propose to you one of the reasons you have all these dreams of working hard to look good and do well and achieve is because you're trying to prove to yourself and everyone else, even people who may not be around anymore, that you're not a bum. What's that mean? It's a statement of craving for acceptance. It's a statement that if I can do this, or if they approve of me, then I'm worth something. I'm valuable. I'm special. I'm wanted, I'm loved. So when we fail, when we fall short, when we don't measure up to someone else's standards, when we get criticized, we get mocked or made fun of, we battle with what's called self-condemnation. We put ourselves down, we rehearse the negative, we turn the volume up on all of the negative rhetoric, the word is sometimes hard to read. We just get clouded by what gives us value and purpose and meaning and love. And so what is our answer? Well, we try to silence the voice of self-condemnation, and that's what leads to alcoholics and workaholics and shopaholics. It's what drives many of us to intense anger and anxiety or depression, it's to silence the voice that says, you're not loved, you're not accepted, you're not worthy. I just want to tell you there's another way. There's another way. It's called the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. It's good news. That by trusting in Christ alone, God can actually feel, fill those gaps of insecurity. By trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of sins, he begins to shape you and remind you of this good news. That you are loved. What does a Christian say in the moments of self-condemnation? What can we say with confidence so we're not drowning in our insecurities? In working too much, drowning our sorrows in substances or images, glutting ourselves on food or entertainment,
striving to measure up for someone else's approval, all the while hurting ourselves and many times hurting those around us. What can we say? What can we do? The answer is found in Romans 8. Some try to argue Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in all the Bible. Jesus tells us that the whole Bible is about him, so I think the whole book's pretty great. I'm not sure we have to rank them, but I think the statement only tells us there are great riches to be found in this treasure box. It means that this chapter in Romans 8 has stood out as a significant source of comfort and encouragement and perspective and hope because of all the promises of God for his children in them. It's called the Great Eight, for crying out loud. By some, it's got to matter for something. And it begins right here in verse 1. One of the greatest promises in Scripture leaps off the page as we start into this chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation. No matter what you're telling yourself, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what do we say when we battle? There is an ability to be wrong and yet loved. There is an ability to fall short and yet be rescued by the what the Bible says is the long arm of salvation. It's possible to be unknown by the world and yet fully known by God. It's possible to be deserving of full judgment and yet be fully pardoned. It's possible to be a sinner, yet this truth be for you that you're under no condemnation. There are two truths, I honestly forget where this originated from, but the quote goes like this, We are far worse than we ever dreamed, and we are far more loved than we could ever imagine. You should be asking yourself this question, how is that true? If sin is as gross as the Bible portrays it as, if it is such an offense to God, how in the world do they get the banner of no condemnation? That's where we read. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because, or for, verse 2, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's a freedom that is yours because of Jesus. And his Holy Spirit comes and sets us free. So we got four main things we're going to deal with. One, the world is condemnation. Two, what brings about condemnation. Three, what sets us free from condemnation. And four, what now? That we've been set free from condemnation. So, let's dive in, friends. What is condemnation? This word that's used here in Romans 8 is only used in two other places. Romans chapter 5, verses 16 and 18. We're seeking to answer the question, what is condemnation? If Romans 8.1 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation, you should be asking, well, what is there not? What is this no condemnation thing here? Well, the Bible is really good at helping us understand the Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture. So, when this word is used two other times, I'm going to run to those two other times, and I'm going to see what it tells me about this word. And here's Romans 5, 16, and it says this, And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for... The judgment following one trespass brought, and there's our word, condemnation. So, what does that tell us? Let's go on to uh, Romans 5, 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all. Okay, what can this tell us about this word, condemnation? Well, Romans 5 is telling us that with our first parents, Adam and Eve, something cataclysmic happened. They sinned. They rebelled against all.
Almighty God, and because of that, this, what is called in the passage, one trespass, judgment followed. Isn't that what it says? For the judgment following one trespass. They sinned, they rebelled against God, God said, live in this way and find safety and open joy. They said, no thanks, go in my own way, they listened to the voice of what was inside their hearts and the voice of the temptation of the devil, they went their own route, that's one sin brought judgment. Judgment. Judgment brought on by sin. And what is the judgment? The judgment is a pronouncement of something. What is it pronouncing? Well, it says there in verse 16 of Romans 5, judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So there's a pronouncement because of sin, you're judged, you're condemned. That's the pronouncement. So whatever condemnation is, it's something that follows sin. And what's interesting, the argument of Romans 5 is that we have been grandfathered in to Adam's sin. We are not only sinners by choice, but by nature. Because we are in Adam. He's our spiritual father. So, let's be clear. What is sin here? In this, what's this one trespass? It is the breaking of God's commands. I think that's what people think of when they think of sin. I, I broke the rules, right? When I give commands to my children... And they say, you know, I say, okay, go upstairs and get this. And they say, no. You know, that's a breaking of a rule. That's not okay. It's not going to fly. It's clear standard. They broke it. They trespassed. They crossed the line. Okay? But sin is so much deeper. Sin is not only the commands of don't lust, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't covet, don't commit adultery, but it's also craving things more than God. It's the craving of the human heart that says, I want that more than I want God and His ways. When you don't get control, or you crave approval or power, it's not trusting God and taking Him at His word. And we're all guilty of these things. We break commands, and we crave things more than God, which is ultimately underneath it all, it is a belief issue. It is unbelief. And we are saying in that moment, whether we consciously are saying it or not, we believe our eyes more than we trust God's word. We believe our brains more than we trust God's word. We believe and trust our feelings more than we trust God's word and what he says. This is what's underneath all of sin. And so the judgment for that is condemnation. What are some other words that can help us understand what condemnation is? It would be something like rejection or punishment. When you look it up in the dictionary, there's we might understand it by condemned property. That property is condemned. And early in TCC's history, we met in a place. Um, it's now Beasley's Chicken and Honey. I've shared this story with several. That's a good restaurant. It's also Chuck's. It's a good restaurant to get a burger. But when we met there, it was owned by David Beasley, the bail bondsman, and it was being renovated all the time. And so when we were there, um, there was a lot to be desired about this building. As I mentioned before, there were holes in the ceiling, there were uh, tiki torches, and, and he was going to put a restaurant there, and so there were all kinds of makeshift things. Things were not working as they should. And then one Sunday, or one week, my wife and I, our family, were outside, and we were watching a cycling race in downtown. And we just decided to stop by the building just to, to see what was going on there. And as we stopped by the building, it had this huge sign on the front of it. And it declared what we had known all along. It said, unsafe building. <laughs> Condemned. And it was like, oh, okay. So like we had like three days to figure out where we were going to meet. Because we now can't meet there. The city finally was like, this is a condemned building. It's unsafe. It's unfit for the purposes that it was designed for. We've been designed to surrender and give all that we are to our Creator. To live in the loving arms of our Father. That's what we've been designed for. That's what gives us joy. When we reject that and we seek to live and find satisfaction elsewhere, the sticker goes on. We're living an unsafe life. 
We're under condemnation. We're under. That's who we are. It's a pronouncement of guilty. It's the sentence of you should be punished and punishment should lead to death. You might, you might have heard of that prisoner was condemned. That means the sentence is now being executed for the crime. All of us have felt this inner sense of justice demands punishment. This is condemnation. You know what the opposite though of condemnation is? Commendation. Endorsement. Acceptance. Not rejection. So when the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation, the miracle of miracles is that sinners like you and I who have rejected God somehow are getting a stamp of endorsement. We're being commended. He loves us. We should be rejected, living against our purposes. Instead, he says, you're accepted. How in the world do we go from banned and forbidden, no access to eternal life, to having the hope of eternal life? Well, let's keep going, because that's what condemnation is, but what brings condemnation? This is where you got to have the on-ramp of Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 tells us we have died to the law. If you remember the illustration I used, it was one of our outside services. When you die to the law, you've changed jurisdictions. It's like crossing state boundaries. When I talk about going from North Carolina to Virginia, you remember the cell phone analogy? I can hold my cell phone in North Carolina, but when I cross over into Virginia, I'm under their jurisdiction, and I can no longer hold my cell phone. It must be mounted somewhere. It's like Tennessee calls it hands-free Tennessee, you know. North Carolina maybe just doesn't go to the law because we don't have a fun slogan like that. But it's like hands-free Virginia, but you can hold it in North Carolina. You've changed jurisdictions, and this is what Paul is saying. Something has happened that we are no longer under the jurisdiction of the Mosaic law. It doesn't mean, do not equate that with the Old Testament. But the laws given to the people of Israel in the covenant of Moses, they are no longer, uh, we are no longer under that jurisdiction because something different has happened. And I believe that's what that now word is in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Now something has happened because the same now word is used in Romans chapter 7. I think it's verse 6. Something now has happened and the now is a person. Jesus has come on the scene. So, let's hit rewind a second. What is condemnation? It is just rejection. It is deserved punishment. It is we are living an unfit, unsafe life because we have rejected our Creator. We're under condemnation. What brought about this condemnation? Well, one of the most famous passages in Romans is that when Romans then begins to talk that we are not under the law and that the law actually arouses sin, the temptation is to think that the law is bad. As Pastor Ron Jure said, many would say that the law is an accomplice. It's conspiring to trap us. But we should not accuse the law. When the Bible says sin is the real culprit, sin is the problem. So, Pastor Andrew said it this way when he preached this, law is not an accomplice to sin, law exposes sin. Sin is the problem. And this is when you begin to read like Romans 7, 21 to 23. So I find it to be a principle, like a, a law, that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, 
waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. You get this wrestle. It's this sense of, I love God. I want to walk with Him, but there is still this residue of sin that is in the human heart. When we try to set our mind on God's Word, there's another law that comes at us. And it's an epic conflict. As Pastor Travis said, with the heart that says, I want to follow Jesus. And sometimes we lose that fight, right? We fall into sin, even as believers. There's a war that's going on in our heart. So listen now to Paul's assessment of his own heart. Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. This is the on-ramp into Romans 8. That's why we're here. When he begins to reflect on the sin that is in his heart, so bad and so pervasive in our desire still so strong for sin, all Paul can say is, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He gets it. He can't fix himself. He's tried. Thomas Watson, who was one who really shaped Charles Spurgeon's life, has a quote that says this, What's in our heart is this mixture of faith and unbelief. And here's the quote. He says, there is some unbelief mixed with faith, some lukewarmness with the real, some pride mixed with humility. And here's an illustration I find powerful. As weak lungs cause asthma or shortness of breath, so the original corruption, that is our original participation in sin has infected our hearts and graces breathe faintly. Meaning it's we find it hard sometimes to do what is right. Our, weak, our lungs feel weak. Our spiritual lungs feel weak and it feels like it's difficult to do what is right sometimes. Is there an amen out here? Amen. There is. There's a fight. There's a difficulty. And Paul knew it he was with you in it, and his only answer is, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is a gospel moment for you. Because, especially if you are an unbeliever, one who has not surrendered your life to Jesus, and you're in this room or you're hearing this online, what the world would tell you, if you find a deficiency, work harder and you can make up for it. You can fix it yourself. I'm sorry. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, is a lot more godly than me or you. And his only answer was, I can't fix it. Wretched person that I am, who will deliver me? He knew. The answer was not, I can't. And when that penny drops, and it flips like, I can't do it. Now you're ready. You're ready to receive Jesus. Because Paul says that very thing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who will deliver me from this body of death. So, what is condemnation? It's just Rejection or punishment because we have rejected God. What brought it about is that it's this sin in our lives. And Paul is saying, even though we wrestle and wrestle and wrestle, our heart needs to be delivered. Who is going to rescue us from this body of death? It is Christ Jesus our Lord. So now he's speaking to those who might be condemning themselves for their constant failure. And he says, there is therefore now no condemnation because you're in Christ Jesus. You're so weary by the battle. There's no condemnation for you because you are in Christ Jesus. So it goes to the third question. What sets us free? from condemnation. And this is what Paul seeks to answer in verse 2 of Romans 8. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because or for 
He's saying you have been set free. You feel the war going on, Romans 7, but, but something categorically different has happened. You've been set free. Now, let me just hit pause a second. Some of you have been in the church a while. And you might even feel like you could probably articulate this sermon, and honestly, some of you could, and probably even do it better. It's not the point. The point is, Paul tells us these verses are meant to be sufficient for the self-condemning heart. These verses are meant to be such an encouragement to you that you actually live in the freedom that he has granted you. And yet you and I all the time, I guarantee you this week, we all have wrestled. We fought. We have forgotten we're free. And we've tried to fix things ourselves. We've battled with self-condemnation or we've battled with self-righteousness where we look at our neighbor and we condemn them. These verses are so beautiful and they need to be meditated on. So I'm just trying to address the person that might be like, this feels like a broken record. It's what we've been hearing about in Romans chapter 1 through 7 for such a long time. And I'm just so thankful that the record isn't broken, but it is on repeat. It's good news. So, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. To be under no condemnation means you are set free. Set free from what? Romans chapter 6, verses 18 and 22 use this very same word, set free. So they're going to tell us what it means to be set free. Romans chapter 6 verse 18 says, And having been set free, two words, from what? Sin. You've been set free from sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 22 says this, Now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. You were slaves to sin, now you're slaves to righteousness. You were slaves to sin, now you are slaves of God. How are you set free? The passage says, this spirit, the Holy Spirit, a person, he gives life and he sets free. That's what he does. Now, there's a phrase that's used in verse 2 and a phrase that's used in verse 1. It's repeated twice. And I think it's the linchpin for how we stand under no condemnation and we walk in freedom. It's to remember that you are in Christ Jesus. In Christ. This is union with Christ's language. You've been joined to Jesus. You're hidden in Him. And if you're hidden in Christ, you're saved. How much of how we act is because we don't feel safe. I can think about many times I act in certain ways because I feel afraid. And when I'm afraid, I can really kind of get short with my family. So, I notice that sometimes when I don't feel like that I'm far enough along in my sermon preparation, and I then begin to think, What's going to happen if I'm not done? And I think about what you might think of me. It's totally backwards for this moment, but I'm just giving you the rawness of the heart. And then in fear, I might get short with my family who hasn't done anything wrong. But it's because there's a fear underneath that is creating an anxiety it makes everything amplified. Because I needed some quiet. <laughs> Somebody's coming to ask a genuine question. And you snap. Why did that happen? Because I didn't feel safe. I felt afraid. What I've forgotten. That my God is for me. And this moment is not about your approval. This moment is for one set of eyes only. It is the eyes of my Savior. 
And this aim of this moment is not to impress you. The aim of this moment is to love you. The only way I get there is to remember I've been set free. I'm not under condemnation. Even if there might be external attack, Psalm 27 says, I'm safe in God. The picture in Psalm 27 is of attackers coming at you, and yet David is saying, I am confident. How can he say he's confident? It's because he knows he's hidden somewhere. He's hidden in the hands of God. This is what Romans 8 is picking up on. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? You might be like, there's a tons of people who can bring charges. Well, the point is, none of the charges will stick on the last day. None of them will stick. Because you're in Christ Jesus. You have His righteousness covering you. Yes, we have to own our sin. Yes, we have to repent of sin and try to walk with Jesus. But no, you are safely loved. You don't do that to earn favor. You do it to find refreshment in the arms of your loving Father. You're hidden in Christ. A beautiful book that I've mentioned several times, uh, Union with Christ by Rankin Wilborn. Here's a quote. He says this, Union with Christ tells you that you don't have to be stuck or resigned to think, wouldn't it be pretty to think this way? Meaning, man, it'd be really nice if I could live freely. And you're just like, no, I can't live free, so we're just going to resign that I have to be stuck in these sins. But Jesus' promises about rivers of living water, these are not hollow words. For he is that living water, and if you belong to him, he has joined his life to yours. Union with Christ needs to become again what it once was of, quote, highest importance. Because just as our neglect of this reality has had real and harmful consequences, so its recovery will have real and lasting benefits. If you have ever asked of the Christian life, isn't there more to it than this? The answer is yes. Union with Christ is the more. The fact that you are in Christ and he is in you. Then sin doesn't get the final word. When you fight against sin, now you know that it is not stronger than the one who resides inside of you. There's hope because there are choices. We don't have to just resign and sin will always win because we're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to Christ. Christ is in you, the hope of glory, which means he's going to get you to the end. And you're constantly making progress, looking more and more like Jesus. Even though we won't be perfect on this earth, we will look more and more like Jesus because he's at work in us. That's the fact that the Spirit of God has set us free from the law of sin and death. Sin was the principle that ruled our lives, and it was going to lead to our eternal death. When we trusted in Christ, we were in Christ. The Spirit comes and lives in us, and He makes us new. He's constantly working on us. He's setting us free. Jesus explained this idea in John chapter 8. You might know the famous verse, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed, right? Listen to these beautiful words in its context. John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. I hope you begin to see this is how we relate to God. It's, it's an abiding. It's a receiving of God's word. It is saying, I do not reject you, but I place myself under you. And he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's the spirit of life that sets you free. The truth sets you free. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jeremiah tells us that the law of God will be written on our hearts, and yet he also tells us that the spirit of God comes and resides in our hearts. This is what's happening. God is giving us a person so that we can do what the law asks us to do. We can love God and love our neighbor. 
And so he's saying that you will know the truth if you just abide in the words of Jesus, place yourself under the words of Jesus. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. What are they leaning on? Are they leaning on Jesus or are they leaning on their ethnic upbringing and their religious background? The latter. We're offspring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we'll become free? They were thinking physical slavery. He was thinking the enslavement of the heart. So Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, that is, makes a living at sin, is a slave to sin. You've been enslaved by it. You think you're free, free to do what you want to do, but you're enslaved by it. So verse 35. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. He's saying, you want to be kept? You want to be cared for? You want to really know love? You want to receive an eternal inheritance? In order for that to happen, you need to become a son, a child. You're not simply in need of freedom. You're in need of sonship. You don't just need the shackles to be taken off. You need all the rights and privileges of a citizen. And so he says, if the Son has set you free, you're free. What was the stumbling block for them? Jesus was the stumbling block. Submitting their entire life to Jesus was the stumbling block. And if Jesus has set you free, if you submit your life to Jesus, you are free indeed. These are the words of Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Sin and death no longer have dominion over you. Now, look at verses 3, or look at verse 3 with me. How did this happen? What does it mean that you are in Christ Jesus? How did that happen? How does a sinner go to find safety hidden in Christ? Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, couldn't do. What was the law unable to do? It was unable to change the human heart. When you read the Old Testament, you will see Israel trying constantly to do what was right in order to be changed. And every time they failed. The human effort constantly proved that it would not work. Constantly. This is the story of the Old Testament. The law could not change the human heart. So God did what the law couldn't do. What did he do? He sent himself. He sent his only son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He had skin. He looked like us. In the likeness of flesh and for sin. These are the words of substitution. Jesus did something that took the condemnation we deserved and placed it on him as a substitute so that if we trust in him as a substitute, we don't get condemned. And that something has to do with Jesus coming to us, not staying away from us. And it has to do with his flesh. He came, he looked like us. He lived the life we could not live. He was the only perfect righteous one. And then he died on the cross, crucified. He condemned sin in the flesh. Look at that in verse 3. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. How do you get no condemnation? Sin's got to be condemned instead. There's got to be a punishment. 
so, sin was condemned in the flesh. Jesus came. He bore our sin upon his body. So that you hear things like 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin. This is Jesus. Didn't stay away. Drew near. Hung on a cross. All of our sin placed upon him. Even though he knew no sin. He was punished for our sins. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. No condemnation means sin got condemned. And it got condemned in Christ. Now, what happens is, if we trust in Jesus for us, if we trust in Him, something legally happened and something familial happens. Because remember, we don't just need the chains taken off, we need a new identity. Something legal happens, and something familial happens. Legal is we are given a new status. It's changed. We're not under the law of sin, but we are under grace. Familial, we are not under the law as slaves, but under grace as sons, as children. So you can just imagine. In the courtroom, you're declared not guilty and forgiven. And the lawyers stare at the paperwork. And it all seems to be in order. How in the world? They don't know. But it's irrevocable. Legally set free from the penalty. No jail time. No fees to pay. No community service to gain freedom or acceptance. No probation. You're free. No condemnation. Because you admitted you were unable and you trusted in Jesus alone to set you free. But there's something deeper. There's not only a legal transaction, there's a familial thing. You've been transformed. The hard heart was replaced and it was given softness. What makes the heart's hard heart soft? Sin is no longer the boss. You've been set free. And here's what we hear in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord comes and lives inside your heart. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's verse 2 of our passage. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Your heart begins to desire the things of God. Your hard edges become a little softer. Tears become a little more common. Joy becomes possible. Thankfulness gets deeper. Generosity increases. Love abounds more and more. And these are all in seed form. But they're planted by the Holy Spirit deep within you. And God promises to keep watering them day by day, moment by moment. And they will grow beautifully in your life. Because the Spirit of God is at work within you. Dear friends, you're not just unchained. You're now children. You're children. And the Father loves you. So, we have to answer the question. If condemnation is rejection that is justly deserved because we have rejected God, and what brought it about was our participation in sin, and we feel this internal wrestle, like, I want to still follow God, but I struggle to follow God. And Paul says the remedy for that wrestle in the Christian's heart is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then we need to rehearse over and over, I've got to remember how I'm set free. That's what we just did. I've got to remember how I'm set free. And you rehearse the gospel. Jesus stood in my place. He set me free. I can be wrong, but I'm loved. I'm set free. I, yes, deserve condemnation. But when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. This is how you talk. This is why we sing. To give you words in those moments when you don't know what to say and you don't know how to battle. Paul says, just say Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. 
You've got to remind yourself, I'm not alone. I'm not on an island. I haven't been saved here, and now I have to work it on my own. No, I am in Christ. I have the protection of Christ's righteousness that takes every charge and he takes every blow. And not only that, but I have the transforming power of the Holy Spirit working within me. So sin does not get the final word. So what? So what is everything? Because you've been set free in Christ Jesus. Paul's answer to the so what question is verse 4. And he says... You've been set free. You're no longer under the law because Christ has come and he's died in your place. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What's the requirement? Love God by heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Sin had to be condemned and righteousness had to be walked in. So Jesus came and walked in righteousness when we couldn't. We're now clothed in his righteousness. Sin was condemned on his shoulders so that now we can walk by the Spirit. That's what the passage is saying. The Spirit of God is in us, so therefore we can walk according to the Spirit. I'm hoping that you have hope. Some of us battle with loving our neighbor, loving our spouse, loving our kids. There is hope for you if you surrender your life to Jesus. You are not trying to fix that on your own. The Spirit of God is at work in you. Admit it to Him. I do not love this person all the time, and I actually struggle with it. Oh, God, help me. Some of us struggle with joy. And we genuinely have a sour attitude more often than we really want to admit. More often than we really want to admit. And you can believe there's hope because the Spirit of God promises that He is working in you like a mighty rushing river constantly feeding the tree that's on its banks. That's why Psalm 46 uses the image. The Spirit of God is the river that makes glad God's people. There's hope for you who are battling with joylessness. It's that Romans 7 wrestle, but yes, say, wretched person that I am, who will deliver me? But say the answer. Jesus will. And he has. And he's going to keep doing it. Because the Spirit of God is in me and I'm in Christ. Amen. Romans 8. It's great. There's no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. You've been set free by the Spirit of God. Jesus has done what you could not do, so you can now walk in love for God and love for your neighbor. Yes, you'll be imperfect, but you keep getting more and more like Jesus. It's just what he promises to do. It's the beautiful words of Jesus in John 13 when he looked at his disciples right before he was going to the cross, and he's washing their feet, and it says this about Jesus. And he loved them, and he loved them to the end. You will be loved to the end. No matter what you face, no matter how much you feel abandoned, when you hear the words, no condemnation, it means you have not been rejected. No matter what your feelings tell you, no matter what your suffering tells you, you have not been rejected. You've been accepted. You've been loved. And God is working in you. To live in that freedom. Dear friends, I pray you live in so what this week. I pray you live in hope. You are not resigned to constantly be enslaved to sin, but the power of the Spirit of God is in you. And He is working great things. So let's walk in hope. Because you're not in the condemnation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you would set bound people free. Father, when I vow to not believe the gospel in the everyday, when I'm tempted to be satisfied by other things other than you, Father, remind me that I'm set free and in you is full satisfaction. Father, I pray that everyone in this room, everyone that is listening to this sermon, Father, I ask that you would set bound people those who battle with the voice of self-condemnation and constant failure, they would not be controlled and dictated
that you would help us to walk by the Spirit and not according to the flesh. 